you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find Mark chapter 10. All right. Uh, two weeks ago, we had a message where we talked about an idea uh, that we called baggage. All right. And we've made a few statements that week and even last week about baggage. Maybe you kind of have an idea of what baggage is. Uh, but the, the definition that I kind of came up with for what we were talking about was this. Uh, I said it's things that we bring into our relationship with God that isn't from God, right? Like things that bad experiences, past experiences, uh, preconceived ideas that we had, and we bring that in, and oftentimes that baggage has to kind of be figured out, all right? And we said this, we said baggage that we don't deal with, baggage that we don't process through, hinders us in our lives, specifically in our walk with God, all right? So last week we said, uh, we kind of said this, we said baggage is evidence of areas that we haven't fully surrendered to God. I know that may sound kind of weird, but we're just simply saying, like, when we have things that we're still dealing with, it's probably because we are either choosing not to deal with it or we are trying to deal with it ourselves instead of saying, okay, God, can you help me process through what this is? All right? Uh, and this isn't meant to be something harsh, like, hey, you have, you have baggage, figure it out, deal with it. You know, that's, that's not what this is. Instead, we sort of said, like, when we start to feel offended in certain areas, that should be a little bit of like a red flag or an alarm bell for us going off, telling us, hey, you know what? You've probably been hurt in this area in the past. And that probably means there's some things that, that should be processed through and some things that we should, we should spend some time looking at and trying to grow and even grow through what these areas are. All right, many times when there are areas we have baggage in they, that have to do with God specifically, because this, this is a big thing for people. You walk through the doors of a church and you might have baggage surrounding the idea of God or religion or church. Uh, it's often because we have been hurt by a church. We have been hurt by Christians. Uh, or even we were hurt, and I'll phrase it this way, because of maybe a, a misunderstanding that we had about God. All right, just because, and I'm going to say it that way, simply because I know in my life, when I've, when I've taken a step back and tried to understand what God is doing in, in my life, um, God, God is never trying to hurt me, never trying to do anything like that. It's usually just the lens in which I'm seeing things. Maybe I wanted stuff to happen this way, and it didn't happen that way, so then I felt hurt. Well, that's not really necessarily God hurting me. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we said. And, and the goal, again, isn't to say that you're wrong and deal with it. It's try to gain a better, a better understanding and realize that, unfortunately, humans make mistakes. Humans don't always do a great job of representing God. Um, and a lot of our, our bad experiences begin to just color how we see God, how we see this amazing, encouraging, loving, holy God. And so when we begin to attach other things, it's, it's often because of hurt. And when we can deal with those areas, it allows us to let go of them, to surrender those to God, and to continue to grow closer to Him. So in every area of our life, I think I, I want to stop and ask the question, am I fully surrendered to God in this area? All right, that, like that is what we are called to do. All right, we should be continually uh, having a self-assessment of that. And so last week, we started a series that we're just calling Fully Surrendered, 
right? Like we came out of this idea of baggage and a lot of people, it resonated with them. They're like, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm trying to deal with this stuff. And so we, we decided to just go into a few weeks of this idea of being fully surrendered, all right? And we looked at examples that Jesus gave of what it looks like to be fully surrendered in certain areas. Uh, specifically, things like, how can I be fully surrendered when it comes to my family? That's one I've kind of said, I, I struggle with that. Specifically, my kids, like just trusting God with my kids instead of trying to control everything that surrounds my kids. All right, we said, what does it look like to be fully surrendered with my emotions or with my interactions with other people? Especially interactions with people that I don't particularly like or get along with. What does it look like to be fully surrendered in those areas? And as we read through some passages, uh, we saw that Jesus has an incredibly high bar of how he, he phrases some of these things. And it's difficult. And so over the next two weeks, uh, today and next week, we plan on looking at two specific areas that I think a large portion of our church um, and people in general and Christians in general kind of struggle with. All right, and so like all things, people in the room will have different experiences. Each one of us will be in a different place. But I would encourage you, if as we begin to talk about some of this, if you feel your guard go up, if you feel defenses uh, kind of go up, if you start to put walls up and feel offended, um, to actually take a step back and ask yourself, okay, why? I'm not saying that it's wrong even, but why am I starting to feel that way? And begin to think through what, what has happened in my life where I feel the need to get defensive in this moment. And more than likely, there was a bad experience that you had in your past, or someone that you loved dearly had a bad experience in their past, and you're carrying a little bit of their baggage. And, and I think this is, this is important because it, we don't want to stay there. We don't want to let those things shape our life. Let's learn, let's grow, let's move past and step into the life that God would desire instead of um, being held captive by bad experiences. I kind of love that, that visualization of being held captive um, because I, I think like that, that's what happens to some of us. We, we allow it to just keep us in one spot where we're going to continue to struggle and that thing begins to just control our lives, control our thoughts, control the interactions we have, and we're held captive by these bad experiences. And today we are going to look at what does it look like to be fully surrendered when it comes to our finances. And I think even as I say that right now, there, there's probably people in the room that right now you just kind of, things, things went on edge a little bit. You're like, oh man, of course. And, and there's, I guarantee there's someone who's in here for the very first time and they're like, of course, the first day I show up to church, they're talking about money. And you're just like, see, this is my bad experience. Last time I was in church, they were talking about money. You know, and like, I'm sorry. Like, I'll just, I'm sorry. That, that was not intended. All right. But it, it's something that I think we need to be able to talk through. We need to um, deal with this area. And I know a lot of people carry baggage. And they carry baggage. Um, and this is because it's such a hard thing to talk about. Like, it's one of the, the leading causes of divorce is finances. And it's because just even in a marriage, people don't know how to talk about it. And you come into a marriage and two people have completely different upbringings and they have different backgrounds, they have different ways of, of dealing with money, and it just causes stress and friction and they don't know how to talk about it. In the same way, I think like when we don't know how to talk about finances, it leaves us in this really just kind of 
place of captivity surrounding it. All right, and, and so churches, you know, churches have often maybe overstepped in this area. Churches have maybe weaponized scripture to try and get what they want. Churches have a history of bad experiences around finances. Like, this was a massive part of Martin Luther leaving the Catholic Church. Are you, you had um, indulgences and all these different things where people were, like, paying money to basically get their loved ones to move from purgatory into heaven or things like that. And you're just like, oh, that, like, you hear about things like that. And it just feels gross. And I, I know that, that we've had bad experiences. And this is why, traditionally, as I've approached this, I've always approached it from a probably overly cautious place. All right? Because I know that there's bad experiences, and I don't want to add to that. But here's the problem. Like, in doing so, in being overly cautious, I probably haven't always said what I should have. I have probably tried to err on the side of going light, and not necessarily saying things as strong as what scripture does sometimes. All right? And guess what? No one has complained about that. But it, it, here's the thing. If I did that in other areas, if I started just going really light on things and not saying what scripture says, you would consider me a bad pastor. And rightfully so. And yet, when it comes to finances, when we go light on that, no one really seems to complain. And I think it's because we just, we like doing things our own way. All right? And so, uh, I just, this doesn't mean that I'm like going absolutely crazy today or anything like that. Just remember today what the challenge was a few weeks ago. If you start to feel offended, uh, I would just challenge you, take a step back and, and simply ask why. Is it because... I am weaponizing scripture or I am going too far or is it simply because we have defenses that are going up because of past bad experiences and if it's the latter then I would encourage you to just kind of breathe ask God to speak to you and give you peace all right and so I just want to challenge us let's be let's be open let's be ready to maybe change our view on some things let's deal with and process through junk um, and let's be ready to be challenged so if you're able, if you're willing, would you stand with? I'm going to read through this passage. Um, what I say, we're in, we're in Mark chapter 10. All right, and we're going to start with verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. 
Lord, I pray right now, just over this room, God, I pray specifically for those that maybe um, feel hurt in this area. God, maybe this is an area that they um, just are kind of struggling with. Maybe this is an area that's really hard in their life. God, we pray for healing today. We pray for freedom today. We pray for encouragement and peace and love today. God, not for guilt or shame or anything like that, Lord. So we just pray that, that you would speak in the way that you do that just brings that encouragement. Lord, we ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. I'm going to go through some passages today. Um, and what I want to try and do, there, there's way too many passages uh, that just talk about finances and money to like really spend a ton of time on each one of these. What I want to do is try and paint a picture of how the Bible as a whole has talked about finances kind of like in a way almost cover to cover. All right, and so we're going to look at some of these. We're going to acknowledge why like certain areas talked about it in the way they did. Okay, and, and so I think that this is, this is going to be important for us. Uh, as you saw in the passage we just read, Jesus talking about things, talking about being fully surrendered, he sets the bar pretty high, right? Like he's like, hey, now you just have to, the only thing left, just one small thing left, sell every single thing that you own, give all that money away, and then come follow me. And you're like, are you serious? Like, but here's the thing, as we read this, um, as we kind of dig into this, I think we can safely say that being fully surrendered doesn't mean that you have to sell everything you have and give the money away. Okay, so everyone take a, a big like sigh of relief. <sighs> okay, all right, so just so we get that out of the way. This is the only time that Jesus asks someone to do this, so it isn't necessarily a normative pattern. Now, I want to set up a little bit of like a spectrum of what giving has looked like in the Bible or how it's been taught and... and, and what we do take from this passage we just read is this, is that you do have to be willing to do that if God would ask you that. that. That's a big thing. You have to be willing, like you have to not be holding anything back. Emily and I have some friends, uh, technically it was actually her friend's parents, and uh, they had raised their kids, he had worked for the postal service, uh, worked until retirement, had a pension, um, they became empty nesters. They were like, all right, we're going to start living this life that like, we had kind of been planning for. Uh, they bought a little bit of like, their dream house as empty nesters. Um, and all of a sudden, they start to feel God asking them to become missionaries. And how many of you guys would say, yeah, uh, I, God would have to speak real loud because I'd probably ignore him at least a few dozen times. <laughs> like, they're, they're in this spot, like everything they've worked for. And they... They follow this. They, they sell everything. They sell everything and they start to go overseas as missionaries. And they are missionaries that we absolutely love. Um, they are presently doing an international church in Indonesia. They were previously in Morocco for a lot of years. And what I love is when I talk to them, like there are zero regrets in their life. They know they are exactly where they're supposed to be and they are just like excited and loving life, which... I think our fear is, is that, like, that's not what's waiting for us. And so, like, it is crazy to hear about when God does ask people to take that step, whether or not they are willing to do that. And so that's kind of a crazy example of, like, a little bit of the extreme here, all right? Now, I want to lay out a little bit of what we see in Scripture, and I'm even going to go kind of to what the, what the bottom of this is, um, where people are still kind of in this spot that we would say they, they seem to be financially surrendered to God. 
In the Old Testament, God's people were governed by the law that God had laid out for them. It was super in-depth. You probably know the Ten Commandments. Uh, I don't think any of us can recite the 500-some laws that they had. And they continued to add to that with like oral tradition where they added their own laws in there. There's all these different laws. All right? Um, this is probably the part of the Bible where if you've tried to read the Bible in a year and you ended up giving up, it was probably in the thick of the laws, right? You're like, oh man, I can't hear one more of these. Understand though, that, like what the laws were for. The laws were trying to lay out how people could live in a way that honored God, that brought them closer to God, live in a way where they could be a blessing to the world around them like God intended. All right? And many of the laws tried to make it so that they could live as like harmoniously as possible with other people. And when it came to trusting God financially under all these laws, there were several pieces to it. They had what they called a tithe of their crops. Tithe just simply means 10. All right, so this was 10%. Crops was kind of their, their source of money. And they would give 10% of the first fruits. So this meant like the best of their crops, the first of what they had, they gave to God. All right, so Leviticus 27, I'm just going to read this little chunk here. It says, One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. If you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. He apparently really wants his grain. All right? And then it actually, it continues on and starts saying the same thing about like livestock and animals and all these different things. Now this, this idea is reiterated multiple spots in the Old Testament. All right? Jesus talks about it with the Pharisees. They are still under the Old Covenant um, and they are still kind of doing this 10% thing. Now, it's actually, it's a misunderstanding to think that they gave 10%. Because actually, there were other tithe laws. They needed to give to the Levites. They also gave to the temple operations. They also gave to certain holiday festivals. And then they had to give to the poor. And some of these were kind of split up over different years. But the best estimate is actually that the Israelites were giving between about 20 and 30% of what they had on an annual basis, which is kind of crazy. Um, and so this is, this is kind of where they were living. Um, and we'll use a more conservative number and say 20%. All right, so like this is, this is where the Israelites were. And in some of the minor prophet books, God gets really angry with them when they don't follow through. I'm going to read this one. It's not going to be on the screen. This is in Malachi chapter 3. It said, Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Like, God gets really direct with them in this area, which is kind of shocking, all right, and we're going to look at the rest of this passage. It continues. We're going to look at that later. All right, but again, now, here's the thing. If you want to take a sigh of relief here, this is under the old covenant. This isn't what we are under. You and I do not have to follow the laws of the old covenant. All right, I'm pretty sure every single one of us is probably currently breaking, for sure, at least one of them. They, they weren't allowed to wear mixed clothing, like the fabrics. It had to be 100%. And that's just not what, like, any of us, I'm sure, is something that each one of us is wearing. So, like, understand, we, we are not following the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, 
laws. And so even the, these tithing ones, this, this doesn't necessarily really apply to us in that same way. All right? Now, I think a better thing that we should be asking is, all right, well, what happened in the New Testament? What happened under the New Covenant? Or maybe a better way of saying it, what did the early church and the early Jesus followers, what did they do? Because that would probably be more applicable for us. Well, the early church, um, we're going to see this in several spots in Acts. And I want to read just out of Acts 2. It says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. So that sounds closer to what Jesus said to the young guy saying, hey, sell everything and follow me. That's, that's closer to that than it is actually to the old covenant and tithing laws. And this, this definitely would be the case as like, now this doesn't mean that they got rid of everything. Like people still had possessions, they had things. We see this as Paul is planting churches, people are supporting him, um, they're living their life. Uh, and actually, even at one point, they, they give not only to people that are near them in need, but Paul comes, and it says this in Acts 11. Again, it's not going to be on the screen, but it says, During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus. Anyone need a good kid's name? There you go. Uh, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. Everyone giving as much as they could. So they, they, they were still giving, not only to help others locally, but people they didn't know. And Paul and other New Testament writers, they continue to instruct people who have wealth to be using it for God and giving it away. And so I would honestly say that the way that they seem to live as we look through the New Testament are, is that they, they had a greater reliance on God for how they were living than the Israelites did in the Old Testament. A greater reliance. Another way of saying that is they just lived on less. They gave more. All right? And so I, I think as we read through the New Testament, as we see what Paul's doing, um, I think that they are giving well beyond any type of like a 20%. Um, and this is, this is just kind of the way that they lived in this community. And many times when we talk about money, people just want an answer of like, how much are we supposed to give? And I'll let you know a secret. Like, I'm not even going to say that today. All right, but I think asking how much do I have to give, like that's the wrong question. It's sort of like, okay, I was a youth pastor for seven years, and we would always have different like dating series that we'd talk about, and it usually had some type of a message where we'd have like a little Q&A where they could anonymously like put questions in there, and without fail, every single time, you want to know what question is in there? How far can my boyfriend or girlfriend and I go physically? Just every time. It just happens. Like that's, that's the question that everyone's always asking. And when I was young and a lot dumber, I'm still pretty dumb, but a lot dumber than what I am now, I would actually attempt to try and answer that question. <laughs> which is just a fool's, like, don't ever, you can't win, okay? What you start to realize is this. You're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. If you're asking that, instead of saying, like, how much junk can I get away with in my life, which is essentially what that question is, 
You should be asking, how can I best honor God in this relationship? That's a totally different question that results in a lot of the, like, a, a different way of approaching it. And I think it's the same thing. Like, we often approach giving as, okay, how much do I have to give up? I think that's the wrong way of approaching this. I think, I think a better way of saying this is don't look for, like, a specific number. Ask, how can I best honor God and best steward what he has given me? Like, that's the approach that we need. So here's the thing. I think that most of the time in life, at least for people who consider themselves followers of Jesus, we would say that we want to live surrendered to God. And if there is an area of our life that isn't going well, if it's like really messy and things are falling apart, uh, we would probably, as followers of Jesus, take a step back and say, okay, am am I doing what I'm supposed to do in this area? Am I doing what God would want me to do? If things are falling apart, maybe it's because I'm not really living the way I'm supposed to. All right, so if you have two people in a marriage and they both are followers of Jesus and things are not going well, hopefully at some point the question would be asked, is this marriage honoring God? Are we focused on God in the way that we should be? Is this marriage fully surrendered to God? And as you process through that, you probably find areas that it isn't. And you would then want to implement those and you would probably expect that things would start to get better. Okay, or with parenting. If you're, if you're parenting kids and things are not going the way that you think they should and those kids are not listening, they are not respecting you as parents, there's all sorts of issues that are going on. Parents, don't look at your kids in the room, okay? Um, if those things are happening, like you, you would probably take a step back and say, is my parenting, the way I'm doing this, is it fully surrendered to God? Am I doing this the way that maybe I'm called to do that? And if we aren't, we would probably try and fix those things. Now, here's the problem. What happens when we are struggling financially? Do we go to God and say, God, what am I supposed to be doing with my money? Or do we start looking at the world around us and thinking, the problem is I just need more money. I don't have enough money. So I need to figure out how to get more money. Maybe I need to kind of, you know, if I can't increase the the income, I need to decrease the expense or something, but we kind of just approach it from this really logical way. Instead of saying, God, what does it look like for me to be fully surrendered in my finances and believing that if I actually am living fully surrendered, that maybe things in my financial life would actually start to go better. And the reason why we struggle to do that is this, because God's way of being financially surrendered is completely illogical. It is counterintuitive. If you don't have enough money, give more money away. (laughs) And we're sitting there being like, no, no, I've tried that on Microsoft Excel. The red number got more red. (laughs) But this shouldn't surprise us. Like God's way is always, it always seems to be counterintuitive, backwards, upside down from what we would think is the logical way of doing this. We think, if I don't have enough money, I need more money, not, not give more away. And this, it really ends up being about trust. Being surrendered to God is all about trust. And we, we said this last week, it is about trust. If God calls us to sell everything and follow him, that would be a massive step of trust. 
And I think what happens is some of us think, if God did that, and I knew he was saying that, I would follow through. All right, but here's kind of the problem with that. It's sort of like people who would say, oh, wow, you know what, I, I love my wife so much that I would, I would lay down my life, I would die for her. And yet, I'm not willing to give up a weekend of hunting to take her on a nice, long, extended date and invest in our marriage. Right? So when you're not willing to do the little things and put in the little bit of work that has to happen, can we really trust that you're willing to, to go to these big, crazy extremes? I, I don't think so. And so I would love to say that I would sell everything and follow where God's leading me, but I have to ask the question, am, am I actually, like, that's a big step of trust? Am I even taking little steps of trust right now? Am I willing to do that? Like, if I would say, I think God would provide for me when I have zero percent. Everything's gone. And I think a lot of Christians would say, God would provide for me. I trust that. And yet we struggle to say, I think God could provide for me if I had 95%. God would, would struggle to provide for me if I had 90%, if I had 85 if I had 80%. If I was living on 50%, there's no way I could do that. And yet we'd say, oh, God would, God would take care of me. If, if everything disappeared, if it was like Job and everything went up in flames, like God would provide for me. When we live in a way where we are constantly trusting him to provide, it makes it a lot easier to trust him in difficult times. And so here's, here's a phrase I want us to just kind of take with us. Trust has to be given opportunities to be earned, and it has to be given opportunities to grow. So if you're here and you're like, I, I struggle to trust God, you know, or maybe let's just take this off of even money right now. Do you want to know how you can tell if you can trust somebody? You trust them. And then you find out. There's not really any other, any other way. Like, you have to step out and trust. You have to extend trust. And then you see if that trust can, can be held. And, and believe it or not, in the book of Malachi, okay, this, this passage we read earlier, in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, again, not necessarily applicable to us, but as I read this, I want you to ask the question, like, is this because of the Old Covenant, or is this part of God's character? Because God's character doesn't change. All right? And so I want to read this. It says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God actually tells them to test him in this. And he says, test me, I'll follow through. And so yeah, this is Old Testament. If this is part of the law, maybe this doesn't apply to us. I don't necessarily see this as part of the law because we see this reiterated. Jesus says, why, why do you care about all these things that you need? God takes care of the lilies. God takes care of these birds that are around you. Like, how much more is he going to take care of you? So this seems to be more of God's character than something that is bound by the old covenant. And if it's part of his character, then this is still him. 
This is still how he operates. Living on less than 100% allows us to practice trusting God. It does. So instead of thinking of this as a spectrum, like how I kind of laid it out today, and saying, where should we fall on this? I think instead, understanding that living surrendered to God in our finances, in our modern culture, which is what makes us difficult, we don't live in the same type of culture they did, All right, I think that what wisdom would say is actually pulling together everything that God has said in his word, looking at how he approaches finances, and to me, that says it's probably a little bit of everything. So living surrendered in my mind, and I'm going to walk through these quickly, it means we are trusting God with our finances daily by choosing to live on less than what is ours. I think this is a key point. I do. I think that it is good at times to have some type of a percentage simply because it, it's good for us to step forward and say, God, I'm going to make sure that every single day I am trusting you. I believe that my life is going to be better on 90% where, you, where I'm relying on you and trusting on you than 100% where I'm relying and trusting on me. All right, and so whatever that means, again, we, we don't fall under the tithe thing. We don't. But I think that the, that percentage can be good. Now, the second thing, by meeting needs as they arise in the lives of people locally and, and not locally, all right, and living surrendered means always being ready to give it all if we're asked. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do with your finances. I'm going to say, do you feel like you are trusting God? Do you need to grow in that trust? And this is not a, again, not a specific number. Throughout scripture, I will say this. What it seems like is for someone to begin to trust God. He is starting 10, 15, 20%. Like he's like, hey, do you, do you trust me? I don't really know if, if you living on 99% and giving one means that you really trust me. Okay, now that's, again, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying not to overstep this. I can't reiterate enough. We are not under any law that forces us to tithe. But I think we're called to trust him. And it seems like for God, starting to trust him starts closer to about the 90 or 80% of living off of. Now, I think it's human nature for us to overestimate how generous we are. Some people give $10 to somebody on the street, and they ride that generosity high for the next six months. Did I tell you, I saw a guy, yeah, if I rolled down the window, I gave him $10. And you're like, yeah, that was five months ago. Like, what have you done since then? And we just like, we, we overestimate how generous we are. Uh, that's just, that's part of life. All right. Uh, I, I did a little bit of math here. If we, if we wanted to give to the needy in the same type of way that I think the early church was doing here, taking median income of Todd County, things like that, you would uh, essentially, you would have to give $10 to a person 
actually three different people every single day of the year. So you wake up, you put 30 bucks in your pocket, $10, $10, $10. Next day, $10, $10, $10. Next day. Now, I, honestly, that's about what they were giving. The best way I can kind of figure that out to people in need. And I'm only saying that to use this as a gauge for me to understand I am not as generous as what I think I am. And you could argue, but I pay taxes. And the taxes go to help people that are needy. And it supports welfare. And it supports WIC. And it supports all these things. You're right. Like, honestly. And if, if you want to factor that in, go for it. Because for the Israelites, they lived as like a community. We could say that part of the tithe was in a way almost like a tax. To care for the needy. You want to factor your taxes in, go for it. I'm going to tell you, you still are not, I'm not as generous as what I think I am. Even when I factor those things in. I know for, for our family, having some type of a base percentage that we go off of helps. Not to be legalistic, but it makes sure that every single day I'm waking up and starting my day saying, God, I want to trust you. I want to trust that you'll provide and I want to grow in that trust. And then as I go about my day, I am constantly just asking and looking and I, I'm sure I miss this and I ignore it at times. I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal because that's not where I'm at. But just asking God, what else would you have me do? What other needs do you see around me? What things can I take care of? How can I be more generous? And we like to have that percentage because it's easy to just potentially write a check and be done with it. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to trust God. And so I think if you're going to write a check, that's fine based on a percentage, but then continuing to ask, what more, God, would you want me to do? And the way trust works is usually you have to keep giving more and more trust. So if you're, if, if you're starting at a spot, and this is something I think that like Emily and I need to talk about, is we probably, over time, we should be trusting God more and more. And so that probably should be changing over time. And not necessarily just staying in one spot. When we get into the mindset, and actually some of you are like, wait, can I just go back to the tithe idea? <laughs> that was easier. When we want to continue to trust God, I, I think that that changes. And then like we said, we, we need to be ready to give it all if God were to ask. Let's do this. Worship team, why don't you guys come? Let's stand. I hope that as we're doing this, that if, if you started to get a little hot under the collar and feel your blood boil a little bit, that you were able to kind of just take a step back and, and ask the question, why? Um, I'm really, really trying not to say you have to do this. But at the same time, I am trying to, to paint a picture. God cares about every area of our life. And actually, a ton of Jesus' teaching is either surrounding money or uses money as an illustration. And he says this line that, you know, where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And it's just, when he lays things out, he, he goes big and it's hard and it's difficult. And I want us to really take a step back and say, where am I at in this? 
And I, and I want to do this. I want to reread a line from our opening passage that I think is incredibly important. All right, it's verse 21. Buster, if you want, you can find that one and click on it. Um, but he just says this. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. So why did Jesus ask the man to give up everything? Because he wanted to make the man's life difficult? Because he wanted to test him and see how much he loved Jesus? No. He, he asked him because he loved him. And that might sound kind of weird. But follow this. See, Jesus knows that living fully surrendered, living in freedom from baggage was the only thing that would truly bring joy to this man's life. It was the thing that was holding him down. He saw what was dragging him down and it was this, this need to control his earthly wealth. That's why the man walks away sad. He, he walked away still being in bondage, still carrying the baggage and not finding the freedom that he so desperately needed in that moment. Jesus says this because he loves the man. That is the motivation here. So please understand, my purpose today was not trying to offend anybody. It wasn't trying to get you to give more to the church. My purpose was trying to teach what we see in Scripture and to try and represent it as accurately as I could. And it makes it hard that there is not a perfect system laid out in the early church for us to follow. But I do know this. It demanded a lot of them. It demanded more than I think most of us, if not all of us, are doing. And I think God doesn't lay out this easy system on purpose because then we get lazy and disconnected from trusting Him. To some people, the classic idea of a tithe really isn't going to cause you to have to trust God that much. Maybe you're at a spot in life where you're just, the amount of money you have, it doesn't, it doesn't cause you to rely on God. Maybe for someone else, kind of the, the classic teaching of like this 10% is like, how could we ever do that? We're barely making it by as it is. And I, I, I'm assuming, knowing God and knowing how trust works, that if we ask God weekly, you know, what that number should be. And I, I would guess that week after week, month after month, year after year, he would continue to draw us closer and say, can you trust me a little more? Can you trust me a little more? So I want you to just kind of ask this single question to yourself and hopefully this doesn't come across as guilt or anything like that. The way that you handle your finances when it comes to God, do you feel like you can adequately say, I am trusting God to provide for me in the way that I handle my finances. It's not meant to be any amount of guilt or anything like that. It's a question every single one of us needs to ask and continue to ask frequently because that's how surrender works is we just keep giving up more and more until we're fully surrendered. And so when our finances aren't going well, don't look to the world, the same world that just spent a record amount of money on Black Friday, more this year than any other year before. All right, let's not look to the world on how to deal with money because that doesn't seem to be great. Instead, let's start to not rely on ourselves, but rely on God.
And I, and I do want to say this. That verse in Malachi that people talk about, this idea of like, give and God's going to provide. That has been twisted. And it's something that's kind of referred to often as the prosperity gospel, which is, if I give 10%, God's going to give me 20%. If I give, it's going to this. And if I'm giving, I'm going to be living this best life. And let me just tell you, I am not peddling that crap. That is garbage, it is trash, and it is not biblical. All right? Because the reality is, there are times when we give and we trust God, and it hurts. It hurts. If it didn't hurt, if everything was just always great, more people would easily do this. That's not how trust works. So I'm not telling you everything's going to be perfect and exactly what you want, and you're going to get everything in the world you want. I'm saying... Our God has promised to provide. And so I just, I want us to process and, chant and, and think through some of these things. And so Aaron's going to come. She's going to just kind of move us quickly in, into a time of response here. And, uh, but again, I, I really hope this is not something that has landed as, as an offense or anything like that. If it is right now, then just disregard everything I just said and we'll revisit it another time. <laughs> All right? Because I just, what we want to do is just move closer into our trust with God. And some of us have to work through some of the baggage we have before we're actually ready to take those steps. And I'm acknowledging that. That's fine. Work through that, though. Don't just leave it. Work through it. So, Aaron, would you come? Yeah. I just, um, it's a process. Doesn't, I think I said this last week, it doesn't happen overnight. This is something that I think when we, we say we trust God and we, he will provide for us. We're thinking it's going to happen the next day or something, but trust takes patience and a willingness to sit in a waiting period, right? In order for us to grow, we don't just change automatically. It's a transformation. And so, like Pastor Josiah said, with if this is something that you're already like, maybe you felt walls go up and stuff like that, I, I just want to say the same thing as Pastor Josiah. Work through the process. Begin to ask God about it, but don't let it sit. Don't walk out the doors and just go, well, that was, I don't agree and leave it there, but begin to ask the questions and begin to ask the right questions. I think that's so incredibly important. He said that early on in the message today, ask the right questions when it comes to all of these areas in our lives that we struggle with. And so I just wanna pray for us. Actually, I'm gonna invite our prayer team to, to come now. We're gonna have prayer team members um, up front here, there's going to be, there's communion in the back. If you feel like maybe a response of yours is again to go back to the place of God, what have you done and provided for me? You've given me a way to have a relationship with you and you want to just acknowledge that and take that time. So we're going to have prayer teams up here, but I just want to pray for all of us, myself included, when it comes to our finances and being willing to trust God with this. So Father God, we need your help. We are just this morning standing here acknowledging that, that we don't get this right. And we don't even fully understand. And God, that there are some of us sitting in the room here that have experienced just horrible things said to us or we've experienced something bad in a church or whatever. When it comes to our finances, God, I pray right now for healing that would happen in people's hearts. That as they begin to process this, as they begin to ask these questions, God, that you would bring healing to their hearts. 
that they would walk through this process, that healing would begin, and then the right questions are asked, and that, God, that they would begin to trust you again. Not an idea of who you are or who somebody else said you were, but who you truly are. God, help us to open up your word daily to, so that we can know your character, so that we can know who you are. Because, God, we, we begin to trust people we know. And, God, if we don't know you, it's super hard to trust. So, God, this morning I pray that each one of us would begin to just run after you, to know who you are, who your character is, and that, God, in this process of being fully surrendered when it comes to our finances, being fully trusting in that you will provide everything that we need, that we would just take one step and then another step. And so, God, this morning as, as we have this time of response, Help us again to take action. To not let it sit on a piece of paper as a good note and to tag it on a wall somewhere, but God, that it would be imprinted on our hearts. That it would begin to show in how we live our lives and how we interact with people and in the world around us, God, that it would just be so transformative from the inside out that people begin to see a difference. God, we need your help. We need you. And so speak to us now in the next few moments. Change us, challenge us, transform us in our hearts and in our minds. God, help us to just honor you with everything that we have. In your name.